I'm wondering if you all memorized that verse that I taught the kids. Good morning. Good. Good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for kids. Uh, They're just wonderful. Thank you for Marsha's message. Thank you for music. Thank you for uh, the fellowship of your saints this morning. So good to come and be with brothers and sisters in Christ. As we open your word, help us to hear your voice and your voice alone, God. You speak so clearly through your word. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I was greeted this morning just very well. I was in my de Blasi, zooming up to the front door, probably exceeding the speed limit. And uh, Lee was there and he goes, there's a brother I know and love. And I thought, man, what a great greeting, right? What a great greeting. What a, what a wonderful place to, 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 to blase into. So thank you, church. Last week, Drew had mentioned that um, chapter 9 leads right into the calling of the 12. And I thought about that. I said, yeah. So I want to go back into chapter 9 to verse 36. And let's, let's plumb that a little bit to understand uh, chapter 10. And he, Jesus, saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here's the thing you need to know about sheep without a shepherd. They lose every time. They lose Every time. If a wolf comes along, the sheep is toast. If a bear comes along, the sheep is toast. If a coyote comes along, the sheep are toast. Right? They're hosed. They are... The only protection that sheep has is what? Wool. That's it. They can run, but think of sheep's legs. They're about this long. You know how fast that goes against a bear or wolf? Not very far, not very fast. So they need a shepherd. A shepherd, if you think of Psalm 23, has two things, right? A rod and a staff. And what do they do? They, they comfort me. Your rod and their staff, they comfort me. Why? Because the staff, which is the round one like this, a shepherd use, uses to pull a sheep out of a, out of a difficult situation, or if they get afraid, they go underneath a bush, and the shepherd's again like, okay, sheep, get out, and they pull them out. But the rod is a cudgel. The rod is used to fend off bears and coyotes and, and uh, wolf, and that's, that is their protection. So when we read that they are, help, that they are helpless, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, we're realizing that Jesus is looking thinking, these, these people, this crowd, how are they going to survive? That's our world out there. See, if you're not in here this morning, if you're not in a church, you're part of the crowd. And if you're part of the crowd, you're like, 
lost sheep without a shepherd. And if you're a sheep without a shepherd, you are... Hmm, does not look good for you. And it says there that Jesus looks at them like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion on them. That word compassion is really an interesting word. I'm going to try to say it in Greek for you, and I think in Greek it's meant to be onomatopoeia, which if you remember from your English classes in high school, the word's meant to sound the same as what it means, so it's splagnizome, splagnizome. kind of sounds like you have a problem with your stomach, doesn't it? I got splagnizome. <laughs> and, and the word means to be moved in the inward parts be moved in your gut. See, it's not just a head thing with Jesus. He doesn't look at the crowds out there. He doesn't look at his neighborhood. He's not looking at the people he works with. He, you know, he, he sees these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd, and it, it moves his gut. It makes him feel sick. Have you ever watched a program, and you're watching? It's kind of like the ASPC, right? Where they always show those really sad dogs and those sad cats. And you look at them and you go, come on, for crying out loud. But they're meant to move you to the gut. That's what they're meant to do. They're meant to, to not hit you intellectually. They're meant to hit you here. And I wonder, when you, when you really feel it in your, in your gut, Sometimes you don't feel hungry, do you? So I wonder when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says the same thing. It says, when he came, he saw the crowd. They like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion for them. So I wonder when he, and so he taught them. And I wonder when he fed, if he said, no, I, I don't feel like eating. I, I just, mm, I've just been moved to the core. My heart goes out to him. Here's what's really interesting. Scientific American reports that there is, quote, an often overlooked network of neurons lining our guts that is so extensive, some scientists have nicknamed it our second brain. Which is why when you see it here, you feel it here. You feel it in your gut. And Jesus looks out at these people, mm, and he has compassion. He feels it. Not only are sheep without a shepherd uh, in, in a very dangerous position, but he says they were harassed. Harassed and helpless. The harassed word, again, in Greek, is very interesting. Now, I want you to imagine you're a sheep, okay? Here's what it means. Primarily, it signifies, quote, to skin or to flay. You're a sheep. You're being harassed. You're being skinned. You're being filleted. You know, they had to do that in the sacrificial system. Before they sacrificed the lamb, they filleted it. They skinned it. And this is what bothers Jesus. He's looking out and thinking, man, people in this crowd, they've been skinned, they've been filleted, they've been torn apart. 
So when people ignore you, I read a study where ignoring people is every bit as bad as bullying you. So if you've ever been bullied or if you've been ignored, you are feeling torn apart. You are feeling skinned. You are feeling filleted. And Jesus looks out in the crowd and he says, that's what these people have experienced. And that's moving me to the core. It's moving me to the core. You're ripped apart. It moves Jesus to the core. Now you've all been ripped apart in some way or another. I don't know what it's been. But don't think it's just here in the head for Jesus. Yeah, I know. I know you're having problems. No, Jesus feels it. It's And it moves him. The word helpless, there's also an interesting word. It means to throw down with a forceful motion. So let me tell you where this word is used. So, for instance, in Matthew 27, 5, Judas has just figured out that he made a big mistake. He took that 30 priests of silver. He made a big mistake. So he goes back uh, into the temple. And it says in Matthew 27, verse 5, and throwing down, same word as helpless, same exact word, because to be helpless means to be thrown down. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. When people treat you like an object, they are, you are being thrown down. When you're being treated like an object. When t- people take advantage of you, you're being thrown down. And it doesn't feel good, does it? Because you've probably been thrown down before in your life. And when Jesus looks out at the crowds, when Jesus looks out at rolling meadows, Jesus sees a lot of people that have been skinned, filleted, and thrown down. And that moves him to the core. I think if we had the same eyes that Jesus did and felt at the same place that Jesus did, evangelism for us would be very different. Would you agree? Because we'd look out at our community and say, I saw some people, as Bonnie and I came up uh, Kirchhoff Road, I saw a couple with a dog. We were at a stoplight. There was a couple with a dog, and I felt like, you know, I should probably roll down my window and go, you know, there's a church that's going to be worshiping. (laughs) Follow me. I've heard those words before. Why didn't I do that? Probably should have. But when we come to church and we see people out there who are not going to church, does it hit us here or does it hit us here? Because if it hits us here, it will also hit us here because our gut is kind of like a second brain. And Jesus sees these people. So just know that when you're ripped apart, when you're thrown down, it moves Jesus to his core. So Jesus does something important about that. And it happens in chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. Now, what's so interesting that the 
in, in, in this is, again, that word. I, I prefer it, I should have written, excuse me, up there, and he called to, and he called to himself. Because that's what the Greek word means. It's one word in Greek. Call to himself is one word, okay? It takes three words in English to translate one word in Greek. It means to call to himself. It's the image of a shepherd. Because when a shepherd calls the sheep, the sheep come to the shepherd, to the person. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, you really understand this is shepherding language because it says, and he called to himself the 12 disciples, and they came to him, is what it says. And so if you're in that culture, in that day and age, and you read this, you're going, oh yeah, a shepherd. That's what a shepherd does. He called to himself. He didn't call the disciples. He called his disciples. Jesus is a very, it's a very personal thing. Sheep and a shepherd, it's a personal relationship. They're his disciples. And when they come to him, it's a picture of Psalm 23. Because the disciples have a shepherd. That means his rod and his staff, they comfort them. And they're still sheep, but they're not lost sheep. They're sheep who have a shepherd. And they know it. And so when Jesus calls, they're happy to go. Now I'm going to show you a brief two-minute video. And it's of a shepherd calling sheep. And I had to edit it a little bit because one of the students goes, it's so amazing, it's so amazing to her that she goes, OMG. And I thought, yeah, that might not be good to show in church. But, 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 I'm trying to be sensitive to everybody. But they're amazed. And, and I want you to, when, when the shepherd calls, I want you to, to notice that the heads of the sheep will pop up. So be looking for that. Okay? And then the shepherd, the, the um, shepherd's going to walk off the screen. You won't see him for a second because he's going through the gate. And the very last, it's not over until you see the until it's over. So watch how the sheep follow him. Okay? So hopefully this is all going to work. I'll give it a shot. Maybe I have to hit it one more time. Maybe you guys can hit it from back of the, at the station. Oh, please work. Can you get it to play? They're working on it. It's an amazing video. Way too much production. There we go. <laughs> One more time. Oh, what is it? 
picture of Jesus when he calls. It says in, in John, um, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so Jesus calls the 12 disciples. After seeing the crowds who are helpless and harassed, he calls the 12 disciples and they hear him and they come to him. Just like those sheep did. Their heads pop up. He could have said, Hey, disciples, but his disciples to himself. It's amazing because sheep only hear one voice. You saw the test object, test number one, two, and three. They, they don't even hardly lift their, maybe one sheep out of the whole flock lifts its head like, huh? And then puts its head right back down. It's amazing. It's the ultimate picture of discipleship. Recognizing only one voice. Now, in our culture, there are many voices, are there not? There are many things saying, hey, over here. The whole advertising industry in TV is geared towards, I bet you will hear my voice. I bet you will buy my product. And so they try to gear their their advertising to you so that you will hear their voice. Our schools try to get you to hear a voice. Our politicians are trying to get you to hear a voice. But a disciple will only heal, won't even raise their head. Won't even raise their head to another voice. They will to Jesus's. And they will come running. If you would have seen the whole thing unedited by me, those sheep come running to the shepherd. And they follow him like a magnet. He walks out through the gate, and it's just like a magnet. They just follow him because they know. So there are a lot of voices that we can listen to, but here's the voice that I think we hear most often. Guess what voice it is? It's our own. We tend to hear our own voice. So if we think about greed, we want stuff. Whose voice are we listening to? We're listening to our voice. I got to have the latest and the greatest. Whose voice are we listening to? We're listening to our voice. 
if it's about uh, selfishness, it's my, I'm not going to share my stuff. Whose voice are we listening to? We're listening to our voice. I can't share my car. I can't share my guitar. I can't share my house. I can't share my food. Whose voice are you listening to? You're listening to your voice. What about with anger? Well, I, she brought it up. Okay, but it's your anger. Well, she did it. I'm saying she because I'm married to a she. Now, 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 now in reality, that should be reversed, okay? But, but it's my anger, and I, one of the lessons I try to teach my kids is the greatest gift God has given you is the power to decide for yourself. It's the, what he granted Adam and Eve. They chose to sin. Nobody made them. And we choose to get angry. Whose voice are we listening to? We listen to our voice. I choose to be angry. You can provoke me, but I choose to be angry. Or how about pornography? Who's cho- who are you listening to? It's more pervasive than you think in our culture. What about jealousy? Whose voice do you listen to? A lot of voices out there to listen to, but we have a tendency to listen to our own voice. And Christ wants us to learn to listen only and exclusively to his voice. According to sociologist Robert Bella, 81% of American people, 81% of American people say that an individual should arrive at his or her own religious beliefs independent of any church. And those who claim to be Christians are arriving at faith on their own terms. Terms that demand, have no demands on our behavior. A woman named Sheila interviewed for Bella, uh, Bella's Habits of the Heart. Some of you might have read Habits of the Heart. Uh, embodies the attitude, quote, I believe in God, she said. I can't remember the last time I went to church, but my faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, just my own little voice. 81% of people, 81% of people don't listen to a shepherd's voice, which means they don't have a shepherd which means they're toast, which means the only protection they have against anything is wool. There's a difference between the crowd and the sheep of chapter 9 and who are harassed and helpless and have no shepherd to listen to and the sheep of chapter 10, which are the disciples who have a shepherd and recognize his voice. So I want to look at that, those open verses again. And he called to himself, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. I want you to notice there's a big difference here between unclean spirits and healing every disease. There are two different functions. And so people sometimes... We'll, we'll say, oh, you know, it's, it's New Testament times. 
they didn't really know the difference between disease and demon. Oh, that's not true at all. They differentiated quite clearly. In the West, we're the ones that had the problem. We do. What is an unclean spirit? An unclean spirit is a demon. And the disciples are to cast them out of people. I want to give you a definition of demon possession, just a brief one. Demon possession is a state where the demon gains full command of a person's body. The demon takes away the person's ability to use his physical body, will, consciousness, and freedom. Okay? They possess that person. That's what we mean by possession. And don't think it doesn't happen in America. I know, I know pastors who have had encounters with people who have been demon-possessed and in the name of Jesus have cast them out. I want you to think about Matthew 8, which was already preached on. I think Drew preached. I, mm, Drew, I don't know which one of you guys did. But, but, and when he came to the other side of the country of the uh, Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him out of the tombs so fierce that no, uh, that no one could pass that way. They were so fierce. It wasn't them. It was the demons. And when we read Mark, the, Mark, we realize that these guys had been chained, but they broke the chains. We realize from Luke that they're running around the graveyard naked. We realize if, when we read the account of Luke, which is much more extensive, or in Mark, we understand that these demons possess their speaking, not the men or not the man. So they don't have their own voice and they don't have control over their own body and it's a scary thing. And Jesus says, you need to cast out these demons. Talk about harassed and helpless and oppressed people who have encountered the demonic. I want to read to you something very interesting about our culture. This is from the New York Post, January 14, 2022. This last January, okay? That date is really important, okay? I want you to note the date because this is happening now. I'm going to read it to you. An Illinois school... Oh. It's happening in Illinois. It's the New York Post, but this happened in Illinois. An Illinois school district is defending an elementary school offering an after-school Satan club. An extracurricular educational... (laughs) You have to realize how ridiculous this is. Okay, I'm going to read it. An extracurricular educational program sponsored by... The Satanic Temple of the United States. Did you know there was a Satanic Temple of the United States? And they're sponsoring after-school programs in Illinois, in our school districts. The program for children in grades 1st through 5th will be taught by volunteers at the Jane Addams Elementary School in Moline. And will meet five times this year beginning Thursday. Flyers... Flyers circulating on social media claim. That's what they say. It's going to start. According to the flyer, now, 
think they're just flaying these kids, okay? Talk about harass. They're going to flay these kids. Listen to what they say. According to the flyer, the club will consist of science projects, puzzles, games, arts and crafts, outdoor nature activities, because learning about Satan is so fun. The club says it will help children learn benevolence and empathy, critical thinking, problem solving, creative expression, and personal and personal sovereignty because there is no sovereign God. The Satanic Temple, essentially an activist group, listen real carefully now, if you've tuned out with me, tune in now. The Satanic Temple, essentially an activist group and think tank, more than a religious institution, said, said the program is available at select public schools where good news programs exist. In other words, they're setting up satanic programs at schools where there are Bible programs. And it's meant to be educationally enriching. Members have no intention of converting children to Satanism. Really. Really. Here's my question. What are we doing to our lambs? Jesus said, feed my lambs first. Sheep, feed my sheep. But first he says to Peter, feed my lambs. Our society, our culture, and I could go on about this for a long time. I don't have that much time here about how we're harassing and tossing them down, hopeless and helpless and harassed, our children. Satanic. Jesus also sends the 12 out to heal every disease and every affliction. And again, I have an interesting story for you to illustrate what is going on with that. Two guys... Different football teams, right? If you think it looks like they're praying, that's because they are. A 2019 viral video said football and faith go hand in hand in Texas. And one photo captured the kind of... This is from a news article. And one photo captured that kind of special moment under the lights last Friday night as two opposing high school players united in prayer. As soon as the final whistle blew at Sherman High School, Gage Smith, who's the one in the red, asked his friend Ty, who's the one in the black uniform, Ty Jordan of West Mesquite High School, if he could pray with him for his mom, who was battling stage four lung and bone cancer. The two opponents had known each other for having played on a select 7-on-7 squad. And the final score was the last thing either of them had on their minds. I was speechless, Ty's mom told today, after she saw the image. It made me cry. Gage didn't have to do that. 
The fact that it took time to pray with Ty for me took my breath away. Following the game, Jordan's aunt posted to fa- uh, on Facebook this photo where it has been shared by more than 150,000 times. You're called to go out and pray with people. Well, you're called to go out and heal. And I do believe you should pray in healing. I could give you stories. I won't do it now. I can give you my own story. I can give you other stories of people that I have prayed for and seen real healing, not just like my headache got better. I mean, real doctor approved. Wow, go home because you're healed. We don't have to do this anymore, okay? But at the very least, we need to be out uh, praying with each other and praying for people and praying for people we compete with. Have you ever done that? Pray with the people you are in competition with. Pray with those people. And you know why? Because people are being flayed out there and people are being cast down out there and they need prayer. And it moves people to tears. 150,000 people saw that photograph and loved it. I think what they loved about it was that two people of the opposing team prayed, and they prayed for the guy's mother who had stage four cancer. When Jesus sends the 12 out to heal every disease and affliction, can you imagine the word that went out? It's not just that they're praying for him, they're being healed. So if there were 150,000 likes on Facebook, when disciples go out and begin healing people, I guarantee people are passing the message on and they're experiencing something that's wonderful. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this when he gets up in the synagogue to preach. He reads this scripture. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Next week you'll find out that Jesus extends the the demon possession and the healing of the sick to preaching as well. Uh, but he, because he has anointed me to preach good news to poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, release to the helpless, release to the, to the uh, oppressed, and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus is sending out the disciples to do exactly what he came to do. Same thing. What you are doing in ministry is exactly what Jesus would have done. The twelve cast out demons and heal every affliction because, and this is so important, why do they do it? Because they've been given authority to do so. They've been given authority to do so. All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus. So in Matthew 28, the last words, the last words we read are, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
We have a humble God who chooses to share his authority with us. Isn't that an amazing thought? He shares his authority to us. Only a humble God will do that. He's given spiritual authority. It flows not from titles. Our authority doesn't come from our titles and our positions. It's given to us by the one who has all authority. If you're a ministry here, a ministry leader here this morning, or if you're involved in any kind of ministry that this church does, I want you to realize you're there because God has given you the authority to be there. It says something about you, doesn't it? It says something about you. God's given you authority. Authority can also be translated power, and oftentimes it is in the New Testament. He's given you the power to be there. Take it, use it. Okay, now we're going to come to the end of this passage. We're going to fly through these 12 names, and I'm not going to describe everything about it. That's a whole other sermon. But there is something important about these, these 12 names, okay? The names of the 12 sheep who came, heard his voice, came to him. Names of the 12 apostles are these First Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. There's Philip. There's Bartholomew in uh, another gospel. You might hear his name as Nathaniel because Bartholomew simply is telling us who he's the son of, so it's another name you can use. Um, Thomas is Doubting Thomas. A lot of people call him Doubting Thomas because at the resurrection he said, yeah, I'm not going to believe Jesus risen from the dead until I see the marks in his hand and the wound in his size. Matthew is called tax collector only in the Gospel of Matthew, probably because it reflects the author's amazement that Jesus would call a tax collector to follow him. James and uh, Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Zealot. Zealot, let's go get him, you know, let's overthrow, let's do whatever we can. And Judas, who betrayed him. So you have brothers and fishermen. Yeah, some people are no names. We don't know hardly anything about them. We have hated tax collector. We have a doubter. We have a zealot. We have a traitor. What do they all have in common? That's what I want to know. What do they all have in common? What they all have in common is Jesus. What they all have in common is the same shepherd. They share the same mission. They share the same mission. They share the same shepherd. They've all been given the same authority. When I look out at us, Meadows, as a congregation, we are as diverse as the disciples, are we not? We have some people that have come from great backgrounds and some people that have had lousy backgrounds, lousy parents, lousy brothers or sisters. We have some people who have a lot of money and some people who don't have a lot of money. 
We have some people who are well-educated and some people who are not as well-educated. We have some people who have been in church for a long time and some people who just came to church uh, recently, come to Christ recently. Some people might be here, you know, who, who just, we're, we're diverse. What do we have in common? Jesus, same shepherd, same call, same mission, same mission, same authority. And we're called to listen to the one, same voice. So what are some of my takeaways? One, are you listening to Christ's voice? Now, you can't just say yes. I want to say, how do you know? I want to, I want to tell you a, a clever little ta- tack on I hear all the time. People, people justify their own voice when they say, I feel God's calling me. Really? How do you know? How do you know that's not your voice? You got to hear it in scripture. You got to have it confirmed. You're with other sheep. They'll hear the same voice. But we have to be careful that we don't just say, yeah, I feel called over here, or I feel called over there. Yeah. It's a clever way sometimes of, I, I believe that that happens, that God does call. I believe God called me into, to be a pastor. I do believe that. But we just have to be careful. I could say, Bonnie, I feel God's calling us to a vacation in Hawaii. I would go by myself, probably, but I can't. So, you know, okay. So you got the point there. Are you listening to Christ's voice, and how do you know? Two, pray for and with the sick. Don't ever go and visit somebody in the hospital without praying for them. I learned that early on in my ministry. I didn't pray for somebody. And that person came back and said, how come you never prayed for me? And I was like, oh, never happened again. Never happened again. One time, one failure. Pray for and with the sick. Pray, especially if they're people you're competing against. Pray for them. Pray for the person that you don't like so much. Pray for them. Pray with them. Really important. And then finally, my last takeaway. Christ calls each of us And in calling us to himself, he intends to send us out. Does everybody in this church right now realize that Jesus has called you, that's why you're here, and he's called you in order to send you. That's what he does. Calls you to himself, sends you out. And you may say, well, I'm too old. I retired. Well, maybe Jesus is calling you to a phone ministry. Maybe Jesus is calling you to a letter ministry. Maybe Jesus is calling you to a ministry of encouragement. You don't have to be able-bodied, I know this, to be used by Christ, to be called by Christ. He calls you to himself to send you out. And you are given his authority, which means his power, to accomplish that which he has sent you to. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that 
when you call, you don't just call the disciples, you call your disciples. You don't just call some sheep, you call your sheep, and we are your sheep, and we know that you call us. And while most of us will not be casting demons out of people, we do know that Satan is alive and active in this world, and we need to be ministering to people who face that and not be afraid if we have to pray against Satan who, who is possessing someone, God. And we need to pray for the sick and for those who, who just feel like they're being thrown down and flayed, God. And so this morning we have a list of people to pray for. We pray for um, Bev and Del Anderson, who we, we saw, um, uh, and, and Bev's brother, uh, the family of Dale and Bev. Um, Bev's brother passed away. And it always, when someone dies, God, it always feels like we've been thrown down and, and, Matt, and Matt's grandfather died and, and um, Lester's brother died. And God, it just feels like when someone dies, like we're being torn apart and we're being thrown down. And it's hard. And it's really hard. So I pray, God, that you would minister to the families of all of them, to the Anderson family and, and to um, Matt and Marcia and to Gene uh, and Lester, God, as they mourn people close to them, important to them. Help them not to experience the being thrown down part of it, but to experience the calling of the shepherd and the care of the shepherd. And we pray for those who go to... Um, to Iowa, to Andrew's church, and help out there, God. Pray for a successful trip, that Andrew would be encouragement to those that come, and they would be encouragement to Andrew and, and Andrew's whole family out there. We pray for our pastoral search team, God. I know they're being very careful and laying things out in a, in a careful way, in a thoughtful way. It's so important, God, that we have uh, a pastor here who will look after this church and lead us forward in so many ways. We pray for marriages in our congregation. God, there's always a, a pressure on marriages. And when things get difficult, the voice we listen to the most usually is our own, and that's a mistake, but it's hard. And I pray that you would give us grace and that we would hear your voice clearly. We pray for Jeff Anderson's ministry. We saw the video on TV and they're doing an amazing thing with young people, with kids. They want at least 10, I think he said, to, to be staying there and working on that. And so we do pray for that, God. One year of anniversary with, with their youth mission there. We thank you for that. We pray, God, for your wisdom in, in all these things. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.